The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus left the synagogue at Capernaum and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever, and immediately they told him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she served them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered together about the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, a great while before day, he rose and went out to a lonely place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him pursued him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Over the last few weeks, I've had multiple conversations with multiple friends and acquaintances along two main themes. The first centers around the polarization of our national political life and the self-destruction of our fair city, two things you do not need me to elaborate on. And the second has been about the deconstruction, or in some cases, demolition of Christian belief that is ongoing in many of my friends and acquaintances. And I reckon you are also familiar with this latter phenomenon and do not need me to describe it. But with these two conversations in the background, I've been sitting with this week's lessons like a fat guy in a little coat, which may be the stress eating. Uh, but I feel like I've been made aware of these texts through the lens of these conversations in a way that has made me uncomfortable. In our gospel lesson, Jesus has just spent the Sabbath in the synagogue teaching, and we're told that the people were astonished at his teaching, when out of nowhere, a man with an unclean spirit stands up and loudly confronts Jesus. And Jesus rebukes the demon and tells him to come out of the man, and he does. And the people are amazed. A man who commands unclean spirits, and they obey him. And a man who teaches in a new way, they said. He teaches with authority. 
And then Jesus and company head over to Peter's place, and Jesus is told that Peter's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever, and so Jesus takes her by the hand, raises her up, and the fever leaves her, and she starts serving dinner to the small group. But as the sun sets and the Sabbath ends, the entire town turns up at Peter's door with the sick and the demon-possessed. And Jesus just sets to work, curing, healing, exorcising. And he doesn't permit the demons to speak because they knew him, Mark tells us. This is irony, right? None of the religious people in the room understand who he is. And it's the demons who know him. And then at zero o'clock, Jesus is up, hidden away in a deserted place, praying. And we're told that Peter and the group come hunting for him to let him know that everyone's looking for him. And Jesus doesn't even really acknowledge this. He just says, time to go. I came to preach. Let's move on. The story has always struck me with just how nimble Jesus is moving from thing to thing. He can just go from teaching to healing to a dinner party with friends to more work healing and and exercising demons. And outwardly, it looks like he's being pulled apart by the overwhelming needs and desires of the people around him. But somehow, in a hidden and strange way, he seems to move through everything around him like a welding torch cutting and fusing all at once, drawing out and purifying everything he touches with the fire of his divinity. As I say, this text has made me uncomfortable this week as in the background I can hear my friends packing up their wounds and moving away from Peter's house, away from Christ. Because the truth is, over the years there have been many charlatans who have attempted to wield spiritual power in the name of Christ, especially when it comes to big, flashy things like healings and driving out demons. And these charlatans have inflicted massive damage, all in the name of the healer. So as an aside, I say to you, beware those who crave spiritual power but show no evidence of the quiet humility and hidden prayer that Christ so often shows forth. This text has also made me uncomfortable in the way that it's confronted my own limited imagination about what is wrong in the world around me and what is possible in terms of solutions. Over the last several weeks, I have found myself overwhelmed by what Father Stephen Freeman would describe as the shame of my own ignorance and impotence in the face of the suffering and self-destructiveness in our city. And these conversational themes about what's happening around us civically and what's happening within many of the people that I know and love in their own faith life, they start to converge in Mark's description of the ills that beset humanity in this scene. Do you notice the way that St. Mark groups illness and demonic activity practically into kissing cousins? These things are related, and they are very, very close to one another. But I want to be very careful here because the church does not pit science against the Spirit. Mental illness is obviously one of the main contributing factors in the humanitarian crisis that is unfolding on our city streets. 
And insofar as we have gained understanding into the human brain and mental illness, an understanding that I would suggest to you isn't nearly as sophisticated as we pretend it to be, just because we have terms for things doesn't mean we really know what's happening in the human mind. But insofar as we have gained understanding, pharmaceuticals and talk therapy and other forms of healing are all appropriate, good, and often necessary things. So hear me clearly. This is God's world, and putting to use the materials of God's world along with the knowledge that he has given us in order to bring healing and wholeness is objectively good. Diagnostics, medicines, therapies, all of these things can be incredibly good and helpful. At the same time, it is also true that despite our exponential growth in scientific knowledge and technological aptitude, our ability to reverse and undo human suffering is woefully inadequate. Especially if you're scientifically minded, the evidence if you can just see around you, strongly suggests that despite our ability to manipulate the world through our scientific knowledge, we haven't really solved some core mysterious problem within human beings. So let me move past talking pretty for a moment. Six weeks ago, just a few miles from here, a human being was burned to death by the candle that they were using in their tent to keep themselves warm. We are not well. The brain power in this room is immense, and it's not flattery. I'm truly humbled by how many thoughtful, brilliant people call All Souls their home parish, and I'm flummoxed that I'm the one who does most of the talking. It's insane to me. And our city needs you. Mothers, our children need the love and warmth and constancy that only you can bring into their lives. They need you to form them in virtue and peace. Dads, our children need to be seen by you. They need to be called outward in courage and resilience. Doctors and nurses, our community needs your knowledge and your skill to heal. Counselors and psychiatrists, we need your insight and your care. Managers, entrepreneurs, business gurus, we need your ideas and your energy to rebuild our city in strength and equity. Educators, we need your perspective of history and philosophy. Mechanics, makers, trash collectors, web designers, whatever it is that you're doing, our city needs you. Offering your best work. Because like Peter's mother-in-law, we who have found healing in Christ, get out of bed and serve. 
Because here's the clincher. Our city and our world need you in your vocation specifically as people who have already undergone exorcism and baptism and have been illuminated by Christ's Spirit. The church must shake off her materialistic slumber and recognize that all the technique and education and economics in the world is not going to solve our problem. Because the battle that rages around us is not a battle of flesh and blood. It is a battle against principalities and powers. Even now, the angelic host surrounds us as they peer into the mystery of the Eucharistic sacrifice. As I sense the altar and the gifts at the altar when we're getting ready to take communion, I ask the intercession of St. Michael the Archangel who stands at the right, ha- right hand of the altar of incense in the presence of God. And the demons shudder as we sign ourselves in Christ's victory. And they scatter as we cry aloud, glory to Jesus Christ, glory forever, because God is in our midst, surrounded by his angelic hosts, ceaselessly singing the thrice holy as their battle cry, arrayed against the forces of evil who would seek to destroy God's creation by miring us in death. All of which is to say it is precisely right here right now, in this setting, this time, that the church must fend off the impulse to go retrograde and neuter her message, her entire being as Christ's body, by diminishing it into an encouraging talk with uplifting music. Our city is in the grip of spiritual evil. And our civic leaders naively think that with a little more knowledge, a little more money, a little more technique, they will be able to solve it. And they won't. It is precisely now that the church must recall her vocation as an outpost of God's kingdom as the body in which Christ continues his high priestly work, where demons flee before him as wax melts before fire. Which means, of course, that we cannot simply get out of bed like Peter's mother and get busy. We must also follow Christ out into the darkness and silence of the wilderness where we may meet with God and be remade in stillness. What I'm telling you is that our city actually needs us to be as weirdly Christian as possible. (laughs) They don't need to show up here and see a mirror of what they could get somewhere else in the world. They need to understand that we know what we're doing, that we understand what's happening. So I'm going to end with a very long Elizabethan language prayer, but... It's, it's because I couldn't write anything remotely this good. And it's to, to get our imagination captured by, by the fact that the ancient church, and still today in the Eastern churches, at a baptism, there are multiple prayers for exorcism. Because it's a recognition that, that being transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light 
is a, is a process, and there's a battle happening. And, and then the priest moves to bless the baptismal waters, and this is the prayer that the priest would pl- pray as he blesses the waters that this new Christian is about to pass through. Great art thou, O Lord, and marvelous are thy works, and there is no word which suffices to him thy wonders. For thou of thy own good will hast brought into being all things which before were not. And by thy might thou dost uphold creation, and by thy providence thou dost order the world. When thou hadst joined together the universe out of four elements, thou didst crown the circle of the year with four seasons. Before thee tremble all the powers endowed with intelligence. The sun sings unto thee, the moon glorifies thee, the stars meet together before thy presence, the light obeys thee, the deeps tremble before thee. The water springs are subject unto thee, thou hast spread out the heavens like a curtain, Thou hast established the earth upon the waters. Thou hast set round about the sea barriers of sand. Thou hast shed abroad the air for breathing. The angelic powers serve thee. The choirs of the archangels fall down in adoration before thee. The many-eyed cherubim and the six-winged seraphim, as they stand round about and fly, veil their faces in awe before thine ineffable glory. For thou who art God inexpressible, existing uncreated before the ages and ineffable, didst descend upon the earth and didst take on the semblance of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. For because of the tender compassion of thy mercy, O Master, thou couldst not endure to behold mankind oppressed by the devil. But thou didst come and save us. We confess thy grace. We proclaim thy mercy. We conceal not thy gracious acts. Thou hast delivered the generation of our mortal nature. By thy birth thou didst sanctify a virgin's womb. All creation magnifies thee who hast revealed thyself. For thou, O our God, hast revealed thyself upon the earth and hast dwelt among men. Thou didst hallow the streams of Jordan, sending down upon them from heaven thy Holy Spirit, and did crush the heads of the demons who lurked there. Amen.